You're listening to The Hour with Resident Advisor. The Hour! This, this, this is this, The Hour. You're listening to The Hour. This is The Hour. With Resident Advisor. Welcome to The Hour and RA's 2016 in Review podcast. It's becoming an annual tradition for members of RA's editorial team to get together at the end of each year to talk about some of the artists and records and labels that have been exciting us over the past 12 months. We hope you've all been following the year-end polls features we've been running on the site recently, and this talk should hopefully be a nice companion to those lists. We'll begin by talking about some of our favourite albums from this year, then we'll go on to discuss DJs, live acts, labels, mixes, and then finish up with our favourite RA podcasts. We'll be getting some personal perspectives on 2016 from people who you maybe only know from their exquisite writing. So let's introduce everyone. We've got RA staff writers Matt Unicomb. Hello. Holly Dicker. Hello. And Angus Finlayson. Hi. RA's tech editor Mark Smith. Hi. And Will Lynch, RA's associate editor, who also DJs under the name Time Cop. Hi. <laughs> okay, so before we begin, I wanted to touch on the results of the RA DJ poll, which saw Dixon take the number one spot for the fourth year running. Does anyone have any thoughts on what it might take for someone to steal his throne? Well, the thing that might change is people start moving away from this emotional house sound that Dixon and Tale of Us and these kind of guys do so well. So I was thinking maybe with uh, Adam Bayer and Jackmaster's like high placement. Maybe there's a growing appetite for more beat-based rhythmic stuff. I guess you can see the power of these big room DJ sets. Like, Bangkok has always placed highly. Adam Bay are extremely high this time. You can just see that this music has as a broad appeal as this more melodic kind of emotional stuff. It's basically the return of the big beat manifesto. Exactly, which can only be a good thing. <laughs> Right, let's begin with albums. Uh, Will, we were saying when we put the top 20 albums this together that SW's Untitled seemed to come out just slightly too late for people to consider voting for it. Uh, personally, I felt like this would have been a strong contender for inclusion if it had come out uh, a few months ago. I assume you'd agree with that. Yeah, it was my number one album of the year, but it's a vinyl-only label and it's not necessarily on everyone's radar. So I think it will turn out to be kind of a sleeper hit, if that. But yeah, for me, Sued has been one of my favorites for a couple of years. So I was sort of pleasantly caught off guard to have them release what I consider is probably the best thing they've ever put out. Um, I guess what makes it so good is it has all the things that we like about, or that I like about the label. Um, it's kind of interesting, organic sound design, sort of genre transcending uh, styles. Um, sort of lots of things going on at once, techno, house, uh, in this case kind of drum and bass and ambient. But something about this one, it felt like it was delivered with a bit more of a, I guess you call kind of a human dimension. These are songs that I really have created a strong uh, personal connection with. For instance, I failed to, uh, I forgot to rip the album before I went on a trip to London and I genuinely missed it. Like I was excited to get back to Berlin so I could listen to this album and I was extremely relieved when Andrew Rice sent me his ripped files um, which at this point it's quite rare for me to establish that kind of emotional link to an album of this kind. I also thought the untitled thing that they always do worked out particularly well. Uh, all the tracks are untitled, the album's untitled. There are some songs that seem to be kind of different mixes of each other but you don't know that for sure so the effect is just that certain chord progressions and certain loops and sounds seem to just recur throughout the album which has sort of a cool effect. You're saying that it felt more human in relation to the label's other releases. What does that say about the label's other releases? A lot of their music is um, improvised and kind of jam based and just sort of out there trippy psychedelic and I'm sure there have been a few but I can't remember one that had this kind of emotional content to it.
Matt, I think many of us were impressed by uh, Pedro Manifeld's output this year. Uh, you've gone for his album Controlling Body, which did feature in our top 20 albums list. Yeah, I was pleasantly surprised to see it in there, but actually it's probably not so surprising because it's a... These are nice tracks that seem to have like pretty broad appeal, which is, I think, part of the reason why I like it so much, because it's one of these albums that's nice to listen to, but you know a lot of complex stuff is going on underneath. And I actually kind of think this feel the same way about uh, Don't DJ. It's like nice melodies, you know, bright sounds, but you know these are Vena, I don't know, it's a production master putting this stuff together. So yeah, it works on like lots of different levels. I can't say I was so into his previous stuff, like the darker Roll the Dice or early Peter Manafelt stuff. I think, uh, yeah, this is the only thing of his I've really latched onto. And it's probably just because it has this uh, positive kind of appeal. A lot of it's sample based, or almost all, with voices of course. I guess like he just has an ear for choosing nice samples and tweaking them in a way that sounds good. You know, it's a pretty artful thing to do, I think. It's one of the hardest things in electronic music, make music with broad appeal that's also very complex. I know you're a long-term fan of Lacquer and you've picked Struggle and Emerge, which was released uh, around the middle of the year. Mm -hmm. uh, this one had a pretty specific concept flowing for it. Yes, I mean, I think I've picked this because of the concept and the fact that it's extremely close to home. So um, Lacquer were commissioned by Revive, which is um, an initiative in Holland, um, designed to link up artists with archives, media archives, including TV, radio, etc. And Laka were invited to come and create a new body of work uh, involving the Netherlands Institute for Sound and Vision, which is based outside of Amsterdam, I think. They were asked to respond to the theme of uh, the Dutch and water. The Dutch and water. Dutch and water, right, yeah, okay. the Dutch and water. So they they didn't really know anything about this, this theme. Um, I've been living in Holland for a year and a half and I don't know anything about the history of um, the Netherlands and the sea beyond the fact that um, half of it, like a lot of uh, land has been reclaimed to create this country. So I'm just gonna reel off a couple of facts. 60% of the country is susceptible to flooding and it's amongst the most densely populated on Earth, which actually all points to quite a terrifyingly doomed future. So all of this is going through this album. And then you listen to the album and you realise like it's it's it is it is really dark, it's really it's quite extreme. I know that Lacquer make intense techno music, but this you know, this is another level. There's lots of mechanical, industrious sounds there. There's less of a sort of cinematic, poignant element which normally comes through in their music so it was and then I saw it live and it was a real striking piece of, of music it's a really fantastic album so presumably the intensity levels in the live show were fairly extreme yeah I mean I, I saw it at rewire and it was sort of a whole weekend of real extreme live music but this was really yeah it was really powerful really took the prize yeah totally <laughs> Angus, please tell us about your selection. Uh, yeah, I chose an album called Sign of the Cross Every Mile to the Border by Ceramic TL, which is an alias of Egyptrix. Egyptrix is a really kind of unusual and interesting artist. He sort of had this strange kind of like diagonal path um, across various different kind of styles and scenes. I guess he came to my attention as a, an early member of the Night Slugs crew. 
but he was out in Canada. You know, most of that crew was and is in London. Um, and he kind of started off making this kind of synthy stuff that suited the label, but, but by the time he kind of did his last thing with the label, he was very much an anomaly. He was making this sort of strange, um, kind of metallic, kind of dread-filled techno. And he eventually kind of went off and started his own label, um, Halicleen Trance. And uh, this album, I feel like, is kind of the, the first thing he's done where it really feels like, okay, this, he's no longer beholden to any, any sort of other scene. He's not trying to fit in anywhere. This really is his thing. And it has these kind of really specific traits to it. The structures are very, these kind of stark blocks of sound. It's very suspenseful. It's kind of ambient, but it's, it's very rhythmic as well. The, the theme of it is um, environmental cataclysm, and uh, somehow, even though it's you know it's lyricless music, it doesn't use samples or not in a particularly obvious way. But somehow, this theme like really comes through very strongly. So, what does this all sort of equate to tonally? Quite terrifying, actually, in places. Um, yeah, it's somehow a very intense album, even though there are long stretches where nothing in particular happens. It's quite a visceral experience to listen to. Mark, you reviewed Space Travel's Dancing Therapy, which came out on Perlon and gave it a 3.6, which uh, of course isn't a bad score, uh, but has this one continued to grow on you, would you say? Yeah, for sure. And, you know, 3.6 is a great score. <laughs> you know, if you've got a 3.6, you've nailed it. Yeah. The appeal of this record for me is pretty simple, and I think it's something that will keep coming up, at least when I'm spoken to here. Um, it's very obviously just dance floor music. It's not a record which has uh, any uh, greater meaning than that. But it's just simple things to do with the type of bass lines that he, that he writes. Really syncopated, dexterous bass lines combined with um, really nicely programmed shuffling drums from like classic drum machines. And then just the melodies and sound effects have this really like maniacal uh, crazy quality but it's also like extremely light-hearted and approachable and you might listen to it's like a it's a double pack even I'd even hesitate to call it an album like it's it's for DJs to play and this is the sort of thing where every time you play it you're surprised how well it goes down for how strange it is and you hear it on a system and you hear people mixing it and you're like this is freaking awesome but you might like just hear clips on your headphones at your computer and be like, this is like a strange shuffling tech house track. It also has a lot of character. And this space travel guy is just, I don't know, this stuff is so weird, but just slams so well, it's awesome to dance to. What is space travel's deal? I don't actually know too much about him. He him is too. an Italian guy who lives in Berlin and he is somewhat affiliated to people like Bin, stuff like this. He's put out records on Melaflow, which is Vera and Alexandra's label, and Bin's label, Time Passages. So that's the sort of general world that he's in. You can tell there's a vein of music that he's getting at, which is just weird bass lines which work, awesome drums and weird sounds, and that's all you could ask for on a dance floor, basically.
Okay, let's talk about the DJs who impressed us this year. Uh, Angus, I'm going to start with you because you're actually the only person who picked someone who finished in our top 100, or RA's top 100. Wow. Uh, tell us about your choice. Yeah, um, I chose uh, Object, partly because he was the DJ who most surprised and engrossed me in clubs this year, but also as a kind of an opportunity to discuss an intriguing kind of micro trend that um, he seems to be spearheading at the moment, which to put it simply is playing slow. I mean like really slow, so like 105, 110 BPM and, and down, down to like 80 maybe. Um, and this is something that I first saw him do um, at the launch for his Trezor mix. Um, he did the warm up slot in the club. And uh, yeah, he was playing for three or four hours and didn't, he sort of slowly ascended and didn't go above 110 BPM for the whole set. Um, and since then, every time I've seen him, he's managed to sort of sneak in at least one section where he goes right down to these tempos and he's playing kind of like, uh, like halftime drum and bass, um, instrumental hip hop, like a lot of kind of ilbient stuff from the 90s. Um, so he's not necessarily starting with this stuff, but he'll build to this stuff. yeah something that i think was discussed in his art of djing um, interview well maybe you can confirm this is that he pays a lot of attention to transitions so his ability to go from one thing to something completely different in the space of 10 minutes without you noticing is um um is quite extraordinary um but yeah it's been interesting to see how these tempos go down on dance floors i think it's just a completely new frontier for instance i saw him at, playing at the pan night at berghain recently and um yeah, to watch a, a relatively full dance floor at sort of, I don't know, five in the morning, kind of swaying to this like, yeah, 90s instrumental hip hop. It's just it's the very energy strange. is totally different. Yeah, it's completely different. Um, and in that respect, I think it's really interesting. And it's not just him as well. I mean, I know Cool Soup has been playing dancehall sets here and there. Um, ben UFO on his Rinse show has done segments um, every now and then of this slower stuff. And also there are these kind of parallel movements that aren't related, but maybe speak to a, some kind of wider shift that's going on. So like Bok Bok at the beginning of the year did a mix um, with the subtitle, How to Rave at 105 BPM. Hmm. Um, and of course you have people like uh, Lena Villikens as well, who, who plays very slow. So it's just interesting to see these previously unexplored tempos um, suddenly being discovered by DJs. Just gonna add in that art DJing feature, something TJ said I thought was interesting was it's one of his goals. This might not have made it in actually, but he said it's one of his goals to play a full two or three hour set at any tempo range, which is something that's a lot easier to pull off with things like record box and the way you can organize your folders by tempo. But that goal sounds like it's maybe something other people are thinking as well, whether they're aware of it or not. Yeah, I do wonder how many people have seen objects playing one of these sets and have suddenly thought, oh you know what like I've got quite a lot of slow tracks in my collection that I never played because I just thought well I'm never going to have the opportunity maybe if I scrape them all together I'll have a couple of hours of stuff so I think it kind of somehow maybe I mean I don't know where he initially got the idea from maybe he also was inspired by somebody else but feels like suddenly there's this permission to give it a go there's also these somewhat drum and bass affiliated guys who were um, making tracks at 170 or 180 bitter in triplet time, which means you can mix it with techno. So I think that's an interesting addition to that. You can play multiple tempos at the same time or get from one to the other without people even noticing, and that'd be sick if that became more normal, you know? And interestingly, um, this this pan set that I saw um, Object play, he did exactly that. He used a, a Don't DJ track at, I guess, 90 or something like that. I'm not sure of the exact maths, um, which is kind of decentered. Like, you know, you can't really work out how many beats there are in the bar and then mix that into uh, an, a made up sound track, which is in triplet time at like 125 or something like that. And so there's this sort of confusing five minutes where it feels like you're sort of underwater and you can't work out what's going on. And then suddenly you're just at a different tempo. Again, I guess that's something that's facilitated by digital DJing where you can be extremely precise with the beat matching and, and it's much easier to hold a mix like that for several minutes without everything just completely kind of falling apart. Holly, you've gone for Acid Arab. Uh, this is a French duo who are putting kind of modern dance floor twists on Eastern sounds. It does sound like a difficult thing to get right, but um, assuming it's something you think they pull off. Yeah, I think the great thing about seeing them play is that it is so natural. 
even though you're transported to a totally alien world and you have no idea what music is being played. I mean, I'm personally not, you know... Not an expert on this stuff. I am definitely not an yeah. expert, but I, I now have a sort of curious interest in, in finding all these different sounds, and I think they're a great um, conduit for that. But... I've picked them mostly because I've seen them a bunch of times this year and they gave me sort of my highlight festival moments like twice, three times. So I saw them at Strange Sounds from Beyond in Amsterdam and um, just pff, it was sort of in an amphitheatre, the sun was setting over the IJ waterways, curious sounds coming across across the waterways um, everyone was just sort of euphoric, shoeless throwing glitter dancing to music they have no idea about but enjoying it nevertheless and I think that's sort of the whole point of um, what Acid Arab do is is uniting sort of different people different cultures on the dance floor. Matt you spoke to Vera your pick for an art of DJing feature earlier this year um, it feels like she's had something of a resurgence of late or is that just the kind of outside the Berlin scene impression that I have? I was wondering the same thing because uh I was actually surprised she wasn't in the top 100. I really thought she was a shoo-in. But, um, yeah, it's the thing is, she's just been a very skilled DJ for a long time. And maybe just... Uh, the, thing with the, the thing with Vera and lots of people in her kind of, like, field is that they haven't shaken off, like, the minimal tag that so many of them are stuck with. So as, as soon as most people think of Vera, they think of, like... Oslo Records and Mannheim House, which is basically not true anymore and hasn't been true for a while. Uh, so I think since she's kind of stepped away from those sounds and is playing something maybe a bit more modern, like this space travel kind of stuff Mark mentioned, she's just um, she's been able to reach more people because she's playing really cool tunes. You don't need to be into like stripped down dance music to enjoy it. Hugh, our events programmer, said that the Vera set for In Residence is one of his favourites of the year, which is saying something because he's into this like weirdo, you know, grime and experimental kind of stuff. And she's also just like, uh, she's technically very good. I think in that kind of field, the only people that, the only person that comes close is maybe uh, Onorosa. And they have similar backgrounds, actually. Both started playing off this like loopy kind of music and then switched to something more dynamic. So basically, the the knowledge of how to build a set is there. As soon as you give them more like interesting tunes, because that's a subjective term, they dominate. Um, so following on from that, Mark, you've picked treatment. Uh, duo people will more likely know as uh, Bin and Oza. I assume this pick is based on the set you saw them play at Robert Johnson, right? Yeah, and I also saw them play at Trezor too. Okay. Following on from what Matt was saying about Vera, these people who came from this quote-unquote minimal world have now equipped themselves with a range of music which compared to the regular house and techno stuff that you know something like RA is indicative of just feels like there's more to grab into there's more depth to it it could just be a factor of being like disenchanted with a certain type of house and techno that I personally would consider normative or something but this these guys are playing like a lot of electro, Sheffield bleep, early IDM, like English people in the early 90s inspired by Detroit, and then Detroit as well. And they're very often going between 4-4 tracks and broken beat tracks. And I personally am <laughs> very much drawn to that type of transition when something's been syncopated for about eight minutes and then you have that 4-4 payoff and it's just constantly going between straight and broken. And again, kind of like the, the space travel record, a lot of it's like bombastic, super weird stuff, but it's still imminently approachable in a way. Like perhaps it is a quote unquote nerdy sound, but I find it fun, like a lot of fun. So how does what they're doing together differ from what they do individually? Well, um, I've actually not seen Ono on his own, but I saw Ben a couple of weeks ago for maybe like third or fourth time and um, he was playing a lot straighter, a lot more um, kind of weird, wiggy, techno, um, like odd 
deep house sort of stuff, not syncopated. Which is the key difference here, it seems. Treatment is specifically uh, very much electro-oriented, I'd say, yeah. Will, you've chosen Avalon Emerson and Courtesy, who you saw recently closing Panorama Bar? That's right. Um, I think part of what made it so good was I kind of waltzed in at the very end of the whole thing. Uh, the club was only going to be open for another couple hours. So I just caught the most kind of loose, unhinged part um, from a musical standpoint, though. Um, basically, it reminded me of um, there was a quote in the book How to DJ Properly that I always liked, which was um, if as a DJ you have something that other people definitely aren't going to play or this is something that only you would do uh, you really need to uh, you need to make an effort to work that in every time because those will be the memorable moments for the crowd those will be the parts that are different from other nights out and um, and yeah this this set kind of embodied that um, basically I guess on you know simply put it was just it was very eclectic um, everything from kind of crunchy electro um, uh, Cheeto records to um, Avalon doing uh, Aaliyah over uh, the opening bars of Gislotin Circle's Submit X. Um, and then things like uh, Nine Inch Nails, Rishi Sakamoto. Um, it was kind of all over the shop, but... These were edits of those tracks? Some some edits. Um, some just the originals or, you know, um, using the loop function on CDJ. Um, but it was all strung together very well. You're in Panorama Bar. Um, it's sort of broad daylight in there. It's obviously kind of a... Um, extraordinary atmosphere um, it's just much nicer to hear something totally unexpected like Ryuichi Sakamoto's rain rather than um, you know the pumping house that we get so much of all the time it's also just for me I've always felt the thing that makes DJing interesting as an art form is the incredible range of what the DJ can do um, you can literally play anything um, and hardly anyone ever takes advantage of that um, and this is a time where I felt like this, you know, it was this incredibly uh, uh, vast, varied collage of different sounds. Um, but then, of course, you can't just do that. Um, it takes a lot of finesse uh, and subtlety to build the set to a point where that kind of thing feels appropriate. And then um, on a technical level to actually execute that in a way that makes sense. Um, none of that's easy. Um, but yeah, for me, it was definitely a you know, very, very memorable set that left me very impressed by both the DJs. Let's move on and talk about uh, your favourite live acts. Uh, Angus, your pick is Kalela. Um, so I saw her a week or so after Cut For Me. Her debut came out, I think it was 2013. At that point, she was already super impressive, let's say, like incredible stage presence. So I assume by this point, like she's just owning it. Yeah, I mean, um, I had not seen her before. Um, I saw her this summer in um, Prince Charles here in Berlin, which is, a, I guess, a few hundred capacity um, club. Um, so it was after her um, Hallucinogen EP, which came out, was her first thing on Warp last year, but before her debut album, which still, I guess, I guess is coming out next year, but she was playing a lot of material from that. It was in this kind of calm before the storm that you get with... Um, with these artists who are clearly going to go and do very big things um, but there's this kind of eerie silence whilst the album's been done but there's they're kind of waiting to gear up for promo push so it almost feels like it's the final opportunities to see someone like her perform in exactly. a venue like that exactly um, and you know with a very basic setup like it was just a DJ and I think one other musician but yeah she's just it's just abundantly obvious that she's like ready for that kind of transition yeah as you said she has a, a great stage presence she has a lot of charisma also just the set was really well thought out and really well executed I mean she kind of like snuck different sections into some familiar songs and she sang the high um, from hallucinogen over um, Dizzy Rascal's wheel instrumental these kind of like little moments that sort of surprised and um, uh, kept things interesting um, and there was like a clubby section at the end where there was sort of a medley of like ballroom and, and grime tracks 
Um, but also she's just like very kind of emotionally open performer. So she would kind of like pepper her set with um, little monologues about, you know, what the songs meant. And it would be about a breakup or like a new relationship or she would kind of reflect on her success and how amazing it's been and stuff. And these are all kind of potentially platitudes, um, which could sound extremely cliched and kind of like rehearsed. But somehow from her, the whole thing was just hugely convincing. I got that impression also. Yeah. Um, Holly, I'm admittedly not too familiar with your pick. Do you want to explain who you've gone for? Brilliant, if I can pronounce his name right. Um, so I've picked Paul Jebanassam and Tarek Barry. And their piece, um, they've created it together. It's Continuum. And it's an actual audiovisual piece um, designed specifically for both components. Um, the subtext released the, the record in February and then immediately they went on tour because the whole point is to see this show live. Um, I've been really privileged to see a ton of amazing live acts but this one really blew my face off. It was at Sonic Acts Festival in Amsterdam um, in Paradiso which is this old church building so it's already quite an impressive space. There was a huge screen filling the back room chairs laid out, it was a very sit-down affair. You need to be sat down to watch this. Musically, it's sort of a continuation of, of the music that Jibbanasam has been making, which is sort of very physical, um, uh, power ambience, um, quite industrial, um, organic and um, artificial sounds. So we're talking <coughs> beats, no beats? No, I mean, it, I'd say it's, well, I'll tell you, the, the composition is um, a response to uh, the life, power and energy present in the universe. So as, as gaping as that sounds, that's what is being translated into sound. And then um, Tarek Barry, he's a Dutch visual artist. He's been working with Tom York, Nicholas Shah, and Monolake and hundreds of others. He's really, um, I'd say his style's quite simplistic, but um, uh, he makes bespoke pieces with whoever he's working with. So this Continuum project, he actually wrote his own software to, um, which creates real-time computer-generated alternate realities, or in his words, the computer's imagination. So it's all really- so How does that manifest? Well, it's a lot of lights. And like, again, it's very, it's very simple. It's, um, but just amazingly uh, striking. I mean, it's really, I think describing it is almost pointless. Like I really can't stress how this needs to be felt seen, uh, heard, experienced. experienced. Okay, so I was going to go to Matt at this point, but he's had to dramatically run out of the room to vomit. So, um, <laughs> Mark, let's go to you. So I remember catching up with you about your experiences at Semi Breve Festival in Portugal. Um, it kind of sounded like a hotbed for live electronic music. Tell us about your pick and tell us a bit about the festival. So my pick is Carl is Coverdale, who is a Canadian composer. Um, she's extremely fluent in the sorts of uh, traditional Western canonical stuff that you learn in a conservatory. But unlike a lot of people who've had that sort of um, academic upbringing, she's super on it with electroacoustic software, digital manipulation of things like that. And so she's playing at these festivals where there's a lot of like, you know, power noise bro stuff going on and she just like destroys them. She just destroys them with um, like the color that she has in her performances and also the control of dynamics and is just seems to be obviously on another level. In our dance music related world, we tend to get exposed to a very specific type of experimental electronic music, which tends to all fit into a sort of uh, grayscale post-industrial aesthetic. And she just shows how narrow that is with like total flair. Having a hazy line between acoustic and digital sources is something that a lot of modern electronic music does, but the way she deals with um, 
different sound sources and manipulates them is was just honestly stunning. And it, there was things like each individual element feels like it was improvised when it was written. It has like a lively feel to it. But then the way in which each element is deployed as a whole is like so specifically composed that I was just kind of like jaw dropped at the virtuosity of the whole thing. Is it immediately clear when you're in the audience what is digitally derived and what is kind of acoustically derived? Well, very often, no. But some of the obvious high points of what she did, at least on this night, was when a unaltered acoustic source would become readily apparent and then it sort of plays on this um, empathic human thing that everyone has in inside you that even if you're into you know um, somewhat dehumanized music you can't help but respond to like you know choral voices and she, she has a background playing like organs in, in um, churches and she uses a lot of like ecclesiastical sounds like Gregorian chants and stuff like this and so it has a very like totemic uh, significance about it while also being colourful and approachable and, you know, exciting. I actually saw her um, at Rewire and she actually played in a church and she ended her set because she is a classically trained um, organ player. So she ended her set by going upstairs and playing this organ and she was also accompanied by MFO with visuals. So I think it just accentuated all what you were saying, but put into a real life setting of, of a church and just sort of brought out what what she does in a very physical it was just put into perspective i guess it was really amazing yeah one of one of the best things i've seen as well well uh baby father topped our albums list um but i got the impression that a big part of the fascination with the group this year had to do with their live performances yeah that uh, in a way that would actually kind of surprise me um basically the thing that i liked about seeing them was this sort of prankstery mischief element to the performance um i saw them at unsound they were kind of the uh i think sort of the main draw on the friday night they played at 11 p.m on the friday night of the festival sort of thing everyone's planning their evening around to some extent um but then when you got there the whole thing had this kind of funny element of anti-climax to it um basically the whole the the group is obscured by this wall of smoke and also the lighting was just extremely bright unchanging floodlights um which you could sort of consider the exact opposite of normal event lighting there was this weird effect where i felt like for a while people couldn't tell if it had started they didn't know if they should stop chatting or if this you know was this still some kind of annoying intro or is this all that was going to happen um and then uh you know, for a second it felt like kind of a pop art joke of some kind, but then you realize, um, you sort of see movement in the smoke and eventually you realize there is somewhere in there a relatively normal um, kind of hip hop concert going on with um, guys that are dressed all cool, kind of uh, dancing around on the stage, or maybe not dancing, sort of lurking across the stage. And um, it was just funny, whereas we eventually realized um, if it weren't for this ridiculous amount of smoke and this weird lighting choice, um, this would be something like a normal concert. And then we sort of got the hang of it. Um, I don't know, you could sort of uh, get into it like it was a normal concert and realize, um, you know, they're reeling out all the hits. This is really fun. Um, but yeah, I just, I just like that weird tension at the beginning there that, uh, you know, when the artist kind of fucks with the audience in a way that makes them think like, God, oh, Jesus, is this really is? Is this all that's going to happen? And then despite yourself, you find yourself getting really into it. Yeah, who knows about this one? What you gonna do? 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 What you gonna do when we ain't getting on? What you gonna do when it ain't too strong? What you gonna do? What you gonna do? What you gonna do? What you gonna do? What you gonna do when you're done getting high? What you gonna do when life's too dry? Let's move on to labels and discuss Diagonal, Holly's pick. Felt like another strong year for Powell and Jamie Williams' label. Yeah, absolutely. But I think I've been 
listening intently this year, sort of, I always thought they were, they were a curiosity the last couple of years. But sort of had your ear, they've but really, not your full attention. They've totally caught my attention this year with the Not Waving um, Animals album, which I thought was a really interesting sort of retroactive post-punk EBM band meets disco mashup. And then came um, this NMO album, which was it's a duo from Berlin with laptop and drums, totally rambunctious noise melee that I really would love to see live. And then there was um, NHK with his Doom Steppy Reverb album, which is a lot more conventionally clubby. And then um, this second record from Evil called Right Frankfurt, which is sort of micro-compositional deconstructed rave. And so all of that sounds completely um, diverse, but it all comes from the same label. It's all packaged in the same sort of neon, playful, considered, fun way. And I have to say that I've not enjoyed every release this year, which sort of makes me love Diagonal all the more. Because they're just willing to go there, basically. <laughs> yeah. Angus, you picked Time Dance. Uh, this is a label I think a few of us were pretty impressed with this year. This time last year, I was sat in this chair um, talking about seeing um, Peverlist DJ at Free Rotation and how um, hearing all of this kind of Bristol, whatever you call it, hybrid, bassy, techno, in this context, it kind of rekindled my faith in, in that sound and that style. Um, after perhaps feeling that it had stagnated slightly. And, um, and one of the things I mentioned there was that um, I had been slightly disappointed by what the younger generation, the people sort of five years younger than Peverlist and Cowton and so on, had been doing. You know, they had lots of interesting ideas, but somehow they were still very much in the shadow of labels like Liberty Sound and Hessel Audio. They hadn't really sort of started their own thing. And this year I think Time Dance, which is the label of Batu, who is a Liberty affiliated producer, um, has become that sort of new hub for this music. He's kind of gathered a bunch of these artists from that world and released some of their most um, kind of adventurous music yet. So the releases this year, you had um, this track called Beta by Lurker, which is this very strange kind of like slow electro thing and then you had an EP from Ploy who um, also did a, a release on Hessel this year this kind of like spooky tribal techno. Bruce released in my opinion his his most banging um, single two really bizarre tracks that are just extremely powerful tools in the hands of, of good DJs and then just came out a Laxa record this kind of like distorted techno thing. But yeah, they're all very different records. All of these producers really have their own personality. None of them sound like they're trying to be, for instance, a Peverlist record, which I think was some, maybe a criticism you could level at these producers in, in previous years. What does connect them to Peverlist's world? If, I mean, you've described a multitude of uh, genres there, but what's the kind of connecting tissue? Well, I think it's, I think it's structural rather than stylistic often. So, um, I mean, Batu lives in Bristol. I believe he lives with Bruce and Ploy, both of whom have released on Hessel. Um, Lurker has released on Blackacre and a few other labels that have released various bits of this kind of UK stuff. Um, and their previous music has obviously been looking to these older artists for cues, but they seem to be in this place where they're each developing their own sound and it's kind of going somewhere interesting and new.
Will, you chose the many labels of Sotovet and Fett Burger. Um, did it feel as though each of the labels was saying something different this year? You know, I've never really been able to parse what separates one from another. Um, but if you consider the various labels these guys have going on, um, so Sex Tags Mania, Sex Tags Amphibia, Vanya, So Fat, Freak Out Cult, um, and then, you know, they've kind of got their fingers in a few other ones like uh, a Cheeto and um, yeah, a, f- a few more, you know, run by their friends. Anyway, if you consider all all these at once, they sort of form this weird kind of strange universe um, where at, on the one hand, it's uh, sometimes it seems like there's no clear common thread to the music, but um, there absolutely is. It's just kind of eludes simple description um but you know they've got sort of uh like dub reggae house seven inches um tribal techno um vanya recently put out that mad teo and sensational record that's kind of uh left field low tempo house um with an mc uh they just have this ability to sort of um follow their strangest impulses uh and it always kind of makes sense and it's delivered in this irreverent hip-hop inspired crass we don't give a shit kind of way um but i think the fact that they're they release quite a lot of music and it all is it's quite fractured it's on different labels different pseudonyms it causes you not to sort of see it all at once but if you do these are obviously some of the most inspired and prolific artists going at the moment I mean, do you feel as though it's a case of them intentionally limiting their success in a way? Yeah, who knows? That's sort of the thrill of it too, is they're just kind of so generally strange that it's it's impossible to say yeah, why they have so many um, sort of sub-labels and sister labels and et cetera, et cetera. Um, but yeah, then an- another one I just want to give a shout out to is that uh, LNS record on Freakout Cult, which is sort of like... Fettberger and Jada G's label, um, which A, it's kind of cool that Fettberger would have this random like um, Vancouver connection, right? Or is that Jada G's from Vancouver? Yeah. And then LNS, the producer from Vancouver, just kind of like dreamy house electro record is definitely one of my favorite things this year. Um, yeah, it kind of underlines the fact that um, these guys are just very unpredictable. Like um, they, they couldn't do anything to surprise me at this point. Mark, you've gone for Traffic, um, a label that had three releases this year, but that was sufficient to catch your ear. Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty obviously showing my hand here and talking about space travel treatment and traffic. (laughs) I said at the outset that they all um, appeal to me in largely the same way, but Traffic is interesting in that in the past few years, various groups of people have been playing a more eclectic range of music. And now that is starting to be reflected in new productions and Traffic is, in my opinion, the label that takes that and actually makes something which has its own voice. A lot of this music is quite strange, but you can kind of tell it's becoming a formula already, whereas Traffic doesn't feel like that at all. Um, They're from Offenbach, which, you know, near Frankfurt, it's an area which is, you know, created a lot of interesting different types of electronic music over the years and these guys are drawing from that same soup of electro breaks bleep two-step detroit early idm and like space travel they have these records which have this maniacal goofy uh aspect to them which is just like infectious and fun but you could be like an uber vinyl nerd and be like oh yeah this is like drawing on all these obscure electro records i know or you could like have no clue about it and enjoy it in the same breath essentially like the the sounds of their records if they were released in 98 on a white label there'd be like 100 dudes trying to buy it for like 100 bucks or something it's particularly their electro tracks are just fierce awesome it's an interesting one because uh, I've checked out everything on the label and I recognize it in broad strokes. You know, I might describe something as like a, a tech house track, for example, but there's something there that sets them apart. But I quite can't quite put my finger on what it is, but, you know, compositionally or 
to do with the sounds that they're using. Again, the thing I've said multiple times about <laughs> these other artists, quality bass lines. Bass lines which are syncopated and pick out strange pitches, but they're, they've obviously heard like, you know, a billion tech house and minimal tracks with dope bass lines as well. So there's this kind of, it's coming from this more elaborate early techno IDM type of complicated programming, but on a system, it's just like knockout. DJ mixes, Angus, you've gone for motion graphics blowing up the workshop mix. Uh, I definitely didn't hear many mixes like this in 2016. Yeah, I don't know what it is about. I mean, it's, you know, it's just a sequence of tracks. I mean, I'm describing a mix, but, you know, like the blending, the technical aspects of how the mix is assembled is not complex. Um, even the zones from which he draws music are not completely unknown zones, but nonetheless, the tracks he finds, they just have this weird sort of fascinating power to them. I mean, I think for me, why I love this mix is because um, I love the Motion Graphics album from this year, um, his debut album on, on Domino, um, which was this kind of like very extremely contemporary sounding pop record. You know, his idea was that in the way that um, Kraftwerk reflected their kind of technological moment in pop he would do this but now so like kind of inspired by the sounds of um phone notifications and um you know the feel of digital interfaces and this sort of thing um so it's a very contemporary record but it has also this very clear historical context um particularly around like uh this kind of um experimental synth music from Japan from uh, the 80s and, and 90s and um, and this mix the blowing up the workshop mix provides that historical context so you kind of see how this sound that he's come up with sounds extremely modern um, and fresh but also um, is very historically rooted uh, Will you've picked a Radio 1 Essential mix that features uh, Nick Drake Radiohead and Frankie Valli uh, explain so it's Midland's uh, Essential Mix, and those track selections uh, are pretty much the reason I like it so much. Um, basically, mixes in general, maybe especially the Essential Mix, are often kind of a, a snapshot of what a DJ would sound like in a club. Um, or they, you know, they show you what the, what this DJ um, brings to his club and festival performances. Um, when really, a mix can be much more than that. And in this case. The fact that it starts with that guitar and strings intro from Nick Drake, brighter later, sort of signals right away that this is something much more personal than the average uh, DJ mix fare, um, and that balance between those kind of off-piece selections, talk talk and Radiohead and whatnot, plus recent club music, upcoming things on Midland's labels, and the odd bit of uh, film dialogue, like there's there's a snippet from Paris is Burning in there. The result to me feels like kind of autobiographical or almost like a self-portrait, um, which is something that's definitely possible with a DJ mix, almost more similar to um, mix CDs you would make in high school or something like that, where it's, it's sort of, uh, you're using this as a way to, you know, um, convey your own personality through your musical taste. It's something that I think is a very potent dimension of DJing as an art form, but it's one that you don't see very often. And I thought it was particularly gutsy to do this in that venue on the BBC Essential Mix. Holly, uh, you've picked Flavor D's Fabric Live Mix. This has to be one of the rowdiest mixes of the year, right? Oh, oh yeah, it's a, it's a party from start to finish. And I think that's why, why I like it. Um, I've been listening to a lot of grime this year, as have quite a few people, I'm sure. And I thought this mix was particularly special because it was a real pure snapshot of Flavor D herself. She pretty much produced or had a hand in every like every single track here, apart from a handful. 
now she's a really amazing technical CD DJ, but she never, like, it's only in the recent couple of years that she started DJ. She's a producer first, so I thought this was a real um, bold twist on the Fabric Live um, series. And so she's, she sort of showed off both sides of herself, the producer side, and um, her DJ style, because this is exactly what a Flavor D set would sound like. Um, went to see her in Fabric to, um, at the launch, and yeah, it was just, it was a pop-in party. <laughs> to properly characterize the mix, there were certainly some grime selections, but lots of garage, lots of kind of baseline right. house going on as well. Exactly, so yeah, when we know her mostly as this, um, as a grime DJ, a grime personality because of the Butters connection, but she has this other sort of sugary UKG side to herself and this mix sort of tossed and turned between the two quite energetically. I quite like the sort of the extremes that she can go to um, in her productions and her DJ sets. It can be sweet female attitude, sing along, all the girls swaying and then suddenly it's screw face, baseline, grime, hard as nails and then back to sipping pina coladas on the beach kind of thing it, it was great mark i didn't get a chance to hear your selection which is uh, sylvia castell's uh, babula herena uh, but the press notes made it sound like a pretty wild ride uh, and this was a tape on blackest ever black right yeah I, I think it came out like last week or something like that very recently but i've seen her playing in small venues and radio stations around Berlin this year. She's been part of like a experimental electronic slash noise scene for a long time. She's released a lot of records. She runs her own label, but she's also just a sick DJ with tastes that I very much respond to. This mix on the blackest tape kind of jumps between concrete, post-punk, electro, jungle, digi-dub, Detroit techno with no kick drums and things like this. And they're all great tracks and they're generally um, mixed fairly standardly, but there's just a few certain transitions which are this like clear surprise wow moments which really stick out. And 4-4 um, club music mixes, I don't know, it's just something that I don't really get a lot out of anymore and something like this is um a genuinely like surprising experience whereas uh, i don't think i've heard a 4-4 mix this year on headphones sitting down where you're like genuinely moved by it so that's part of the reason why i like this mix so much right so we usually finish these year-end discussions on a self-congratulatory note uh by talking about everyone's favorite ra podcasts uh we don't include these in our online mixes poll so it's obviously a good shout out the djs who recorded great mixes for us Angus, you've picked uh, Josie Rebel's podcast, which was uh, certainly one of my personal highlights of the year. Um, she has a pretty unique ear, right? Yeah, I mean, if I recall, there was a bit of um, strange sort of telepathy going on because I suggested to you, oh, I'd love to do a feature on Josie Rebel, and it just so happened that that week or very recently you asked her for a mix. She's a DJ that I absolutely love, um, mainly through her... Rinse FM show, which is three hours on a on a Sunday morning, every Sunday. She kind of moves in a world that I guess I don't follow particularly closely anymore, which is this, to me, very London soul continuum. So, you know, she's playing like uh, 80s, like New Jack swing tracks and things like this. This is um, on the Rinse show. Uh, yeah, just yeah. in general in, in uh, her yeah, DJ. Okay. And disco and then like classic house and techno but then right through to like contemporary rougher UK sounds. Also a lot of this kind of new soul stuff that comes out of labels like Eglo and 22A and things like that. And yeah, this is music that I don't follow super closely, but I just, I find that her ear and her way of presenting it, I'm always completely stunned by these tracks and immediately want to find out what they are. And uh, this this mix, um, I think does a really good job of summarizing in just over an hour what she does as a DJ. You know, it kind of takes quite a few styles at a clip could feel rushed but actually the whole thing flows and and uh, i just think if you need an introduction to josie rebel then this is this is the mix for it uh mark tell us about your selection it's rames ra podcast uh which in hindsight now that they've released this record as yali kind of makes a lot of sense but i was super psyched when we were listening to it the first time because it was full of 
garage going between like kind of um, lighter two-step into dark kind of LB style garage and then touching on grime and like the continuum between all three of those things which is just an awesome combo you know that like 98 to 2003 era where everything's just kind of going off in its own direction but they're still interlinked in interesting ways and they're kind of like obscene perfectionists at everything that they do and it was just really great hearing them turn their hand to this sort of um you know bubbly effervescent music even if a lot of it was quite dark because their music is basically the opposite of that but it's interesting hearing the continuities that they draw between what they do and this type of mix um did you spend much time with their album yes did you get the link between what they did there and garage and grime it is like an implied link which i don't think is actually deliberately enunciated i think it's something that is within the dna of it but there's not like stylistic elements where you can be like this element or that element except for perhaps the way it's mixed because like they cut it on two twelves and it slams like if you if you play it on a system it is big and if you were no disrespect to the drum and guitar people out there but um those chops don't come from nowhere um so holly you've been um championing the breakcore artists for even my dear on ra for uh, a good few years now um at least since the moment i walked in here yes <laughs> <laughs> so that is um ra podcast deliver absolutely absolutely this was a real triumphant achievement for I guess me as a journalist proof that if you bang on about someone long enough other people might be curious about it um, um, yeah so it's no surprise I love his music I love his style it's very mercurial which is sort of what breakcore is anyway but he brings so much other influences um, wide variety of music to the table including opera Japanese folk music etc but I thought his mix was quite interesting because for a start he's not a he's not a DJ um, so this was quite a rare thing and I think a bit difficult for him to do so he sort of looked sort of within his his closer remit of like friends and also the labels that he released on so there's artists from like Ad Noisium and Prospect um, but in general I think if you still don't know what breakcore is this is a great this is a great place to start um are you going out and seeing many breakcore djs at, at the moment i am poised so long as i don't have um, matt's illness to go to go to prospect on saturday it's pretty much the biggest party in holland that has a breakcore and hard drum and bass gabba platform and i am super excited <laughs> who's on the bill um, I'm going to see Busy B. I can't wait for that. Um, unfortunately, I missed I missed Ruby My Dear play last time. It's actually quite a lot of um, oh Hellfish and DJ producer. They're also great great guys to check out. Um, also, Bangface is coming up next year, guys. <laughs> it's a great lineup this year. It's actually amazing. Um, who's who's headlining? Atari Teenage Riot. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> well, we're ending with uh, an artist from Giggling, our label of the year. Um, tell us about Leaf Legoff. Um, it's probably the best received mix of the year, right? It's in terms of the number of comments and the, and the kind yes. of tone of them. That was actually why I wanted to talk about it. If I'm totally honest, my number one podcast of the year was Rain, along with Mark. Um, but the Leaf Art Legoff podcast made such a weird splash that I felt like it had to be remarked on. Um, it sort of came over the transom. Um, they sent it to us and uh, for some reason needed it to be run uh, you know, uh, quickly. Um, but they, I don't know, I guess it's an example of this thing they do where they use these free online mixes as a kind of, um, I guess just as a mixtape where it's all kind of unknown music, presumably unreleased stuff from the artist, but you don't actually know for sure. It's the same thing that um, Tron Prince and Metatron and Prince of Denmark um, do and also Sapa. Um, but yeah, in general, I guess what's interesting to me about it is how when I first heard it, I, it didn't scream hit. Like I knew it was 
very nicely done, and I personally liked it. But I didn't think this is definitely going to be our biggest podcast of the year. And then um, it was such a sensation; like it was the podcast for sure that the most people just wanted to chat with me about. I was at this house party one time where it was played twice, and the second time I put on something else in the middle of it and got this horrible reaction. Like I felt like I was going to be, you know, physically assaulted. Um, and I, I just think it's interesting that this is, you know, somber, sensitive, kind of vulnerable sounding music, and it gets people absolutely jazz. Like people are obsessed with this thing. It just sort of speaks to the, the I don't know, it, it just general interesting phenomenon of this. Um, what you've described as weepy music, um, really um, pushing people's buttons. It's interesting to consider that we started today discussing weepy, somber dance music that is at the very, very top of the DJ poll, and we're finishing talking about weepy music that also seems to inspire a kind of rabid fandom that may propel the giggling crew to some kind of similar zone. Obviously, it depends on how they play it and whether that's the kind of success they want. But I think the potential is there for that kind of, for them to find that kind of audience. Well, either way, it just points to, I guess, the cultural moment we're in where it's, there seems to be a kind of irony to uh, club music having this somber, reflective element to it. There seems to be kind of strange tension there. But in fact, that's the stuff that's really driving people nuts these days um, just sort of interesting to reflect on mm-hmm.